Numbers 23. Balaam said to Balak, Build here seven altars for me, and prepare here seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bull and a ram. Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps Yahweh will come to meet me. Whatever he shows me, I will tell you. He went to a bare height. God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered up a bull and a ram on every altar. Yahweh put a word in Balaam's mouth, and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. He returned to him, and behold, he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. He took up his parable and said, From Aram has Balak brought me, the king of Moab from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I defy whom Yahweh has not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, from the hills I see him. Behold, it is a people that dwells alone and shall not be listed among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or count the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them altogether. He answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which Yahweh puts in my mouth? Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place where you may see them. You shall see just part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them from there for me. He took him into the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered up a bull and a ram on every altar. He said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet God over there. Yahweh met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Return to Balak and say this. He came to him, and behold, he was standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. Balak said to him, What has Yahweh spoken? He took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, you son of Zephor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and he won't do it. Oh, has he said, and he won't do it? Or has he spoken, and he won't make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I can't reverse it. He has not seen iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. Yahweh his God is with him, the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of the wild ox. Surely there is no enchantment with Jacob. Neither is there any divination with Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, Behold what God has done. Behold, a people rises up as a lioness. And as a lion, he lifts himself up. He shall not lay down until... He eats of the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. <laughs> but Balaam answered Balak, Didn't I tell you, saying, All that Yahweh speaks, that I must do? Balak said to Balaam, Come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. Balak 
took Balaam to the top of Peor that looks down on the desert. Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did as Balaam had said, and offered up a bull and a ram on every altar. That's the end of that chapter, and the rest of it we'll get in the next chapter. So here are the first two prophecies of Balaam. And they're great prophecies, even though he's a terrible guy. And Balaam is determined. He is determined to try to get his hands on this gain. And you would think <laughs> that after God said, don't go, and you would think that after God met him and said, you know, I'm not going to curse them, and then you'd think that there'd be a certain point that you would stop trying. But he doesn't stop trying. And Balak, the king of Moab, is determined to try again, try different ways to get a curse on these people. And of course, it doesn't succeed, and we'll find out about that in the next chapter. But instead, out of his mouth come these profound blessings. And it's amazing that such wonderful things are spoken out of the mouth of such a terrible person. But out of this, and we've got the first two of seven prophecies by Balaam right here. And in the second prophecy, I'm just going to take one stanza and read it to you. It says, Behold, a people rises up as a lioness. So that's obviously Israel. Israel is rising up like a lioness, and he, he's prophesying that they are rising, that they're not going to be defeated. But then he says this interesting next three lines. He says, As a lion lifts himself up, he shall not lie down until he eats of the prey, and drinks the blood of the slain. So he's talking about a lioness at first, but now he's talking about a lion that lifts himself up and eats the, the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. And I think it's really, really interesting because I see here a um, picture of Jesus. Jesus is the lion of Judah, and you've got someone who's a, an evil prophesier, an evil man, but he's prophesying the truth. He's prophesying about Jesus, you know, uh, 1,440 or so years before Jesus um, comes. He's prophesying about Jesus as a lion that will rise up and, and devour the prey. And this is what Paul had to say about this in the New Testament. He said that Christ, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them at the cross. That was Colossians 2.15. Jesus Christ, who's the Lion of Judah, he triumphed over his enemies and he defeated them and humiliated them so publicly, just like what Balaam was predicting here, that the lion would rise up and would not lie down until he had drunk the blood of the slain. He had so completely defeated them, they were destroyed. Some of the greatest messianic prophecies have come through the prophetic voice of this man whose heart was so far from God. You have to ask your question, why does God use such people like this? The truth is that like the donkey in the previous chapter, God can use anyone or anything. In the New Testament, he even used Judas Iscariot. Even Satan unwittingly played into the hands of the Lord Almighty to bring glory to God through his own rebellion. So the Lord can use anyone or even anything. 
And uh, it all, even the devil, even the devil's rebellion, it all brings glory to him, even Balaam. So we don't know always why God uses some of the things he uses, but we know that the Lord's ways are perfect. And the problem with Balaam was he had a heart that loved what was wrong. Here is a man determined to obey God on one hand, but his heart wanted things that God did not want on the other hand. In the chapters ahead, we're going to see this even more clearly. But you remember in the New Testament, Jesus was talking and he said um, that if anyone looks at a woman with lust, he has committed adultery with her in the heart. And he also said that if anyone hates his brother, he's committed the sin of murder. Now that's, that's something that we struggle sometimes to get our head around in this modern in this modern world that we live in, because we equate sin with the actual doing of something. But Jesus, or the Lord, he equates sin with what the heart desires and what the heart loves. And so, for example, if, if um, a man lusted after a woman, in other words, in his heart, what he wants is to get that woman and commit adultery with her. That's the desire of his heart. And... Um, if suddenly there was no restraint, let's say that woman's husband is not there. Let's say the woman herself is willing. Let's say that there's no one looking on. There's no camera. You know, let's say that there's no, if he knows for 100% sure, there's no way he's ever gonna, he's gonna get caught and he even knows that God won't notice. Let's say that a person is put in a position where there's no obstacle at all to committing that adultery would that person do it? Well, that person would because that's what they desire. So oftentimes what stops a person from committing a sin is not, is not that they love righteousness, it's some other thing. So a man doesn't commit adultery because the woman has a husband or the, you know, there very, very many reasons. Or someone doesn't commit murder because there's a police force, there's consequences. You know, someone doesn't steal from their employer because they don't want to get caught, they don't want to lose their job. There's a, there are a lot of reasons why people don't do the wrong thing and thank God for laws and rules and police forces and society and thank God for all these things. But in the end, if all things are removed, it's what we love that is who we are. And here we've got a man called Balaam who just loved what was wrong. Saint Augustine, in uh, you know, 400 years after Jesus, he wrote a very interesting book called *The City of God*, and I've started reading it. And I'm, it's a big book, and I'll finish it one day. And um, he he talked about these women in the Roman Empire. They were Christian women, and some of these women, they were raped by Roman soldiers. There was this one woman in particular he was talking about, and she felt that she had committed sin before God because of committing, um, you know, committing adultery. She felt like the Lord was so displeased with her for having physically participated in this act. And Augustine was trying to say in his book, The City of God, he was saying, you haven't sinned even though you have physically done this thing. Um, because even though your body was involved in the act, you didn't want to be involved in the act because your heart didn't love it. So he's trying to explain that the sin comes from the love of it. 
And so that's where we understand it in the other way around, where Jesus says, if you love a thing, even though you don't do it, you have sinned. And so we've got Balaam here, who he just wants, he's greedy. He just wants gain. He literally does not care what God loves. He only wants what he wants. Now, he does what God wants because he doesn't like the consequences that God might kill him with an angel and a sword, for example. So he's only going to do what God wants. The consequences are too great. But at the same time, his heart is so evilly motivated. And so that's why the Bible tells us to we, we must, must guard the heart because out of it come the issues of life. It's out of the heart. It's what we love that makes the biggest difference of all. One day we'll be standing before the Lord on Judgment Day and um, you can't take anything with you. All you've got when you stand before the Lord is who you are. In other words, it's what you love that you've got when you stand before God. And if you love sin and if you love unrighteousness and you're not so concerned about the Lord, there's not a great footing to be on. But if you're someone who loves the Lord, you love what's right, you want to please him, even if you do fail sometimes, your faith has been placed into him and you stand before the Lord, well, you're actually just going to be so glad to be there because you're with the one that you love. It's the most wonderful thing. Father, I ask you to keep us from the sin of Balaam, son of Beor, Lord, who went after gain. Help us, Lord, not to seek the things of this world. Let our heart not be drawn after them. And um, I just ask, Lord, that we would have a heart that's drawn after Christ, that loves the things of the Lord, that seeks to know more and more of your ways. Lord, let your blessing be upon us and help us to live righteously, I pray. Jesus' name, amen.